Good morning, church. Am I on here? There we go. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. It's wonderful to be with you today. If you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, we have been doing a little mini-series on the Trinity. Again, there's no way we'll ever explore the depths of the nature of our God, but certainly not in three weeks. But we just wanted to get a glimpse of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Holy Spirit as the guide who's been there before, the one who leads us into life because he is the one who created life. And then last week and this week, we're doing something a little, little special, or invited someone that plays that kind of role in their lives in some way to reflect on that role within the Godhead. So last week, thank you for uh, welcoming and honoring my, my dear friend and mentor, uh, Rob Corey, who spoke on God the Father. And I thought it'd be special to uh, invite my dear friend, uh, Stephen Grove, to speak on God the Son and to reflect on that. And Stephen and I talked before, uh, last thing we ever do is, is put any person on a pedestal. But I do have deep, deep honor and respect for your father who served this uh, congregation ably and well for years, your entire family that has been an amazing blessing to us and to this whole church. So I thought it'd be great to have Stephen Grove come and uh, share a perspective. We're talking about God. We're talking about God the Son, but, but uh, I know you don't always want to like brag, and you know, again, we're not putting anybody on pedestal, but I invited Stephen, please talk from a perspective of someone who has been the son in a wonderful, wonderful family. So I uh, want to reflect that. Um, just uh, could you thank Stephen for being here and this incredible family that served us so long. Let him introduce himself. Well, thanks, and I, I know you had a... A, a former mentor, or a mentor up here last week, and now glad you have your new mentor up here. That's right. I need so, that. <laughs> um, now it's it's good to be up here. I love this church. Our family's been here 28 years. Steve Smith helped me do the math this morning because I got it wrong in early service. Um, but that's a long time, and we love this church. And so it's just it's fun. I'm excited to be up here with Dean and just be able to um, visit this morning about about our Father, about the Trinity, and about um, what this church means and what we have going forward. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, let's begin by reading the text of scripture we're going to be looking at. If you have your phones or your devices, we're in John chapter 5. We're starting verse 19. Last week we saw the beginning of this. So if you're just joining us, this is a story where Jesus heals a man miraculously who has been crippled for 38 years. And then it erupts into a conflict and a debate with the Jewish leaders there because Jesus chose to heal him on a Sabbath day, not violating the law of God, but certainly violating their traditions. And so last week we looked at uh, God the Father, and the Father is always working. We don't have to ask that question uh, whether or not he's working our life, but where is he showing up? And then this week, we're going to pick up in the second half of Jesus's conversation in verse 19, and it's reflecting on the nature of the Son in his relationship to the Father. So this is the gospel of our Lord, John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but is entrusted all judgment to the Son. 
so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Skip down to verse 25. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Verse 30. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we looked at this text together, it, it, it speaks to me of what I call the problem of power. We have all sorts of examples of the problem of power in our culture and our world sometimes as I suspect you remember well, uh, last year, sometimes the problem is when power doesn't work or it isn't used. And we even see some of that going on in the news today when people had the power and the ability to protect and to help and they didn't. But more often than not, I see the problem of power in our culture today by people who do have power and they do have influence and they misuse it and they abuse it for themselves instead of to lift up and bless others. Uh, we see this with shady politicians. We see it with corrupt church leaders. We see it with self-centered entertainers, people that are doing things and using the power and influence they have just for their own agenda and their own selves and not for the sake of someone else. In, in fact, people have so abused and misused power for so long that often in a church setting, we don't even like using the word. It's almost as if power itself is evil in some way. One writer was talking about when he was uh, interviewing or discussing things with a prominent church leader in a very visible church in America. If I mentioned it, you would know who it was. And they asked him, um, what are the power issues that are at work in this church, in a church of this size? And he said, oh, we don't have any power issues. We're all servant leaders here. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? But here's the reality. We know in church that's not true. And he said, even in that place, he is a servant leader. He's a good man. But he said, when he walks in the room, you could see the faces of everybody there. This man has power in that place. And if you think there aren't power issues and struggles with that, you're just naive, right? So we see the problem of the power at work in our world, and sometimes it seeps into our own lives. So Stephen, talk to us a little bit about how you see that in our world today. Yeah, so you, you talk about the misuse of power, really, and it makes me think of our world and our country. Um, it's really about the power or the, the struggle over truth and what is truth. Um, the world, society, media tells us truth is relative. It is relative to what I want it to be. My agendas, my opinions, my comforts, my desires, my freedoms, and don't infringe on that because I set what, I set what is truth in my world. But as Christians, we can't live that way. Christians, we are called to an absolute truth, which is Jesus. He is the truth. He is the word. And that is, that is the basis of who we are. And that is the basis of, to me, if the world would uh, believe that, we'd be a lot better off. And I think you agree. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If, one al- <clears throat> if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So I think of that, and to me, I go to that passage a lot in conversation or just in my personal life is, what am I building on? Am I being directed in my life by my humanity and the freedoms or the opinions and my agendas or the things I want that my humanity is calling me to? Or am I being led and building on that foundation is Jesus? All those things, the gold, the, the silver, the costly stones, they go away and there's one thing left and it's Jesus. And there's an irony in as much as we seek our freedoms that are led by our humanity, we become enslaved to those freedoms instead of being set free in the sun. Yeah, no question. I love the way you put that, that that the power struggles that that go on in our world today have a lot to do with this whole issue of truth. And we know here in the book of John, I've said this before, I'll say it many times, we know that for, for John and in scripture, truth has a capital T, right? Truth isn't just an idea or a list of doctrines. Truth is a person. Jesus said later on in the book of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person. And so when we want to see how to rightly use power in our world today, we come to the one who is the truth, and that's Jesus. And that's one of the reasons we're looking at this aspect of the Trinity here. And what I love in this passage is when Jesus starts showing us what power looks like, he starts with dependence. He starts by surrendering here. Next slide. He starts by depending on the Father first. This is his language. He says the Son can do nothing by himself. The mightiest, most powerful one who ever walked the planet starts by saying, I don't do this on my own. I do this in conjunction with, with my eyes on, in harmony with the Father. And this is why it's so important for us. We recognize what Jesus says here about his relationship with the Father is intended to model something for us. Because what he says here about himself, later on in the book, he will say about all of us. He says to the disciples, you can do nothing on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's when he unpacks the whole vine and the branches image later on. And he's modeling for that for us in the nature of the Trinity. The Son does not act on his own. Here's a simple way to put it for our own lives. Life is not a solo sport. Life is not an individual endeavor. It's not just about me and Jesus under a tree. It's not just about us figuring it out alone. That's one of the reasons we are looking at the nature of the Trinity. Will we ever understand all the nuances of that? No way. But one thing is clear is that our God we worship is communal by God's own nature. God is not an individual. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when it says in the beginning of the Bible that we are created in the image of God and we are created to be like God, we are created to be communal beings ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be extroverts, but it does mean that we have to live life and find our identity in community. That's why one of the first times, well, the first time God ever looks at something in the world and says it's not good, you know it. He said it is not good, what? For humanity to be alone. 
He created us to live out in community. And one of the reasons I wanted you to speak with us, Stephen, is you've talked with me before about how important that is to you. Why don't you unpack that a little bit for us? So just the word dependence there that you talked about is how Jesus was dependent on God and is dependent on God. We had that same dependence. First, we're dependent on the Trinity. We're dependent on God as our Father. Christ is our Savior. And the Spirit, as Jesus calls him, our Counselor. Um, that he left us when he, when he went back. And so that's our first dependence as individuals, as a church, and as his kingdom. And secondly, going back to passages last week, uh, Dean, verse, verse 7, chapter 5. This is the, the invalid by the pool. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And there's two parts to that. First, he says, I have no one to help me. And that's why we're here, because we need help. We can't do this on our own. We're in this together. That is Christ's church. That is the gift of his church to us. And secondly, the second part of that is, and we're in this together, we're watching out for each other. That if you need to step into the pool or I need to get into the pool, you help clear the way for me. And we do that for each other. And in turn, we go out and we can share that with with those who don't know Jesus, who do not have an absolute truth, whose truth and power are laid somewhere else in their life. That's why I mentioned our family's been here 28 years, and we love it here. This is the church that I um, spiritually have matured in. Some would say not good enough, <laughs> um, but continue to mature in and want my family here and because it's the people that make this body of this piece of God's kingdom up that is so, is so, so precious and special. Um, and that's, that's the gift of, of Christ's church to us. And here's the irony of this. The, the power of this is when you start independence, it leads to real power and impact. That's what Jesus says. I, I'm, I'm starting with dependence. And this is totally upside down from the way the world works, Right. We think that real power is about bravado and it's about um, coercion. It's about manipulation. Jesus says, no, I'm starting independence with the Father. And what that manifests as is incredible power and impact. And the Trinity has modeled that for all of eternity. And part of the language you see coming out here, that the relationship between the Father and the Son, watch how as Jesus defers to the Father, the Father then gives back and shares that with the Son, Right? Watch this, just some language just in this larger text. Uh, first of all, it says, you will be amazed because the Son gives life. As the Father entrusts all judgment to the Son. Why? So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And he goes on to say, the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. And you see this picture within the Trinity of giving and giving and giving, the Father giving honor to the Son, the Son honoring the Father, the Holy Spirit in the midst of the dance, reminding and exalting Jesus in the words that he said. It is a powerful depiction of what has always been true. Genuine power is all about sharing it. <laughs> with others, about elevating the life of others, not manipulating it for the sake of ourselves. And the Trinity has been modeling this for all of eternity, but it's intended to be worked out in our own spiritual community. So I asked Stephen to be thinking, praying about what, what has that looked like for us and what might it look like in our spiritual community going forward? So the first word, Dean, when you asked me 
about this a few weeks ago that came to my mind um, was the word emulate. And this is before I went and read any of the scripture. And I looked at my next to this passage in my Bible. I have written, we emulate God sometime in the past. Maybe pro- probably from one of dad's sermons because he loved John. Um, and that word emulate just stood out to me. And it was resonating with me as that's what Jesus did. And that's what um, with God. And that's what we are called to do. And I think about it in, in our lives, we all emulate someone, right? We all we have been taught something. Um, from my family, I was thinking about my mom, and she taught me how to be a caregiver. She cares for people. She takes care of people. And um, my brother, confidence in God's faithfulness, mm. just continuing faithfulness in life. Um, and dad, so many things as well. Um, his malleable spirit where he was constantly learning and growing in his faith mm. his, whole, his whole career. Um, and then the other things that, that I've learned, I th- the, one of the first things I thought of is little things in my childhood that may, gave me the um, confidence or the ability to go and do things on my own. Laying underneath a car, changing the oil with my dad, holding a flashlight, and David, you'll remember this, our job was the flashlight and the hand tools. And we were really just laying there waiting to be yelled at because the flashlight was pointing somewhere <laughs> it shouldn't have been. And the screwdriver had rolled away because we weren't paying attention. That's usually how that went. But I changed my own oil with my son. And um, every time I tie a fish hook, every time I tie that knot on that hook, that's something my dad taught me to do. Hmm. Or fill dress an animal or whatever it is. It's, and that's emulation. And those are little bitty things. But there's so many greater things in my life that I emulate people that have come before me. And Jesus did that with his father. Um, looking back at that passage, verse 17, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, my father is working and I am working. My father is also at his work and I too am working. Verse 19, I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He, only, he can only do what he sees his father doing. Because what the father does, the son also does. There's that passing down, passing on. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. It goes on to say, God raises from the dead. Jesus gives life. God was held judgment, and he gave Jesus the power to judge. He passed it on, and Jesus emulated that. So we as a church family, that's what we're called to do is emulate who Jesus is. Emulate, and I think of in Philippians 2, that servant attitude, the attitude of a servant, of humility, of giving of ourselves, of giving up those human desires and freedoms and opinions of things that we think drive us and we think are important, but really aren't the foundation of Christ. So think about that picture. Have that image in your mind, Stephen, under the car, right? That's not just nostalgia. It's actually a beautiful example of the very metaphor that Jesus is working off of here. Uh, One of the commentators that I looked at on this text, N.T. Wright, talks about how Jesus is using here the language of apprenticeship. And we've lost some of that vision and art in our culture where we've made most of training the next generation to be in classrooms and about academics. But for most of history, we learn things by modeling that and apprenticing by someone who has gone before us. You watch them literally. And Jesus says, I'm watching the Father work, and that's how I'm working. And he's modeling that for his disciples that are going on after us. 
That's why one writer said Christianity has always been caught, not taught. It's not about just sitting here and learning things and taking down notes. It's about practicing that life to life. Uh, One of the reasons why in the fall we're going to really lean again into this idea of discipleship and apprenticeship with Jesus. And I look around in a room in a church that's been here for 100 years. Our existence is to continue emulating Jesus and then inviting others to do that as well. And as we wrap up here, what I I want us to recognize is that this isn't just Jesus modeling something. It is an invitation to pass on the power. It's an invitation for us to do what the Trinity has done in creation itself. This incredible dynamic power and love relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God invites us into that and then to pass that on to the next generation of believers, not just those uh, chronologically. And I think about a picture of this, and, and as I'm reflecting on this passage, I, I think about some of the things I learned from my own sons. And I, I'm drawn to a particular time, I remember a particular day, when we pulled up to the park, and I've told you before, one of my great joys of my life is coaching both of our sons all the way through their youth football experience, and then turned them over to the high schools. And I remember the day I'd finished coaching our older son, David, It was the first time we were putting pads on for Luke, our younger son. Pulled up, pulled the bags that you've helped move into my house, uh, the big tackling dummy out of the truck, and I put it down. But before he touched a bag, before we did a single drill, I wanted David to pass on to him something I said to David many, many times. But I remember the first day it happened. We had played a particular game. David was always our running backs, incredibly fast, strong, did a great job. Only two times in his entire career did he ever fumble. And one of them was a pretty costly one in a game. And I remember before we got in the car, I looked at him and I said, David, I want you to hear this. I said, if you fumble every single game we ever play, you fall on your face every game we ever play. I don't care because I love you and not your performance on the field. And I said, I want you to get that because we live in a world that always judges us by our performance. And so we're driving over there, and I said, David, I want you to tell that lesson to Luke. Before we hit a bag, I want him to hear it from you as well as from me. And we started that first day just hitting for the first time, and I remember the end of the season. I told you about this. In in our league up in Nashville, um, they they arranged um, to have the championship game played on Vanderbilt Field. And we made it the championship. I remember going in there into the Vanderbilt Stadium And I'll never forget the moment. Remember, Melly, we won the game, and I held Luke up in the air, and who was standing right next to me? It was our older son, David. And we wouldn't have been there without him. And I loved getting to see our son pass on the power of community and relationship and teamwork into the next generation. And here's what the Trinity says to us. We are inviting you to do the very same thing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has lived in this powerful, adventurous, wondrous love, self-giving relationship for all of eternity, invites us into it, not just for us, but pass that on to the next generation. Stephen brings something. Yeah, so, so that passing on is just our legacy, right? That is, um, for me, a legacy of faith in, our, in my family. Um, and as a church, that's our that's what we're called to do is pass on the blessing that is the world's and it's the blessing of Christ, of our salvation in Christ. I mean, that's truly the only blessing we have. All the other things we have in life are great and I'm very thankful for them. 
But it boils down, my blessing is the same as the person that has nothing materially. It's that Jesus died for Jesus died for us. That's our that's our blessing. And um, I think of the of that passing on. There's one thing that was there. Are really, two things wrapped into one that Dad would tell us when we'd go to bed at night. And Lincoln, are are you ready? All right. So or and Kenley, and then what, what are the two things that we talk about? All right, David, what did dad tell us when he put us to bed at night? Yeah, love God and love his church. And those are the two things. And I thought the love God part's pretty simple and easy. That's our greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. So I, I get that one. And I, I've thought often, like, why did, why did he want us to love his church? Because he could have said love Jesus. He could have said love um, the Holy Spirit or love others. That's a second command. That's all wrapped up in loving God, and my interpretation of it. I love his church is because it's the church is Christ's gift to us on earth that He left us with the Spirit. Um, it's, it's the it's He wanted us to know that we are not in this alone. Mm-hmm. That we have to be alongside each other, enduring with each other celebrating with each other, disagreeing with each other, being unified in Jesus, the foundation and absolute truth of our faith. Amen. Amen. Before you pray, Sad, I said first service, I just want to say it again. Thank you. Thank you and thank your family for loving and serving this church for a long, long time. And you've done it from the first day that I met you here, man. Even after uh, one, of, one of our good friends, mutual friends said, here's what I love about Stephen. He's not perfect, not putting him up on a pedestal, but he said, Stephen wakes up every morning saying, God, who can we serve today? So I love that you don't just teach us well. You model the faith for us well. And you are mentoring me. You really are. And thank you for serving this church well. Would you pray us out, bud? Yeah, so I'm going to read John uh, 5.25 and then say a prayer. I'd, I tell you the truth, the time is coming, has now come, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Mm. Let's pray. Father God, we... We just love you and we know that you are speaking to us and that we have the voice of your son, Jesus, the voice of your spirit in our lives today. And that without that, we are those who are dead. And I just pray um, your blessing and your awakening for our um, hearts and our spirits individually as a church family here and as the greater church of your kingdom, that we will be active for you and that we will be who you call us to be, that we will put our power and truth in you, in, in the name of your Son. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.